today on CityCast Madison. There's a primary next week for an election the New York Times said would carry bigger policy stakes than any other contest in America this year. And that's for a seat on the Wisconsin Supreme Court. There are four candidates running, and we've invited them all on the show. Today, we hear from Judge Everett Mitchell, who has been a Dane County Circuit Court judge for the past seven years. It's Wednesday, February 15th. I'm Bianca Martin, and here's what Madison's talking about. Good morning, Judge. Good morning, Bianca. I'm so glad to be here with you all this morning. Yes, and we're very glad to have you. So let's get right into it. Why should Madison voters vote for you? Well, one of the reasons why is one, especially, you know, given my record here in Madison, Dane County, I've been really committed to, you know, justice and really following the kind of progressive and uh, community-based ideas that we have, whether it is, you know, working in restorative justice to help men and women coming out of prison that has been a staple in Dane County or working to take handcuffs off of kids or changing CCAP rules so that people who have criminal charges that are dismissed or found not guilty of or evictions can be dismissed. Uh, CCAP rules? CCAP. Do you know CCAP? In case anyone else doesn't who's listening, just really quickly, briefly. Let me explain, y'all. CCAP is a circuit court automated website where people can go in and find out anything like your criminal charges, civil charges, divorces, even up to evictions. All of that is online database. And when I became a judge, I got put on this committee. And one of the uh, first things I did was like, well, because I'm a former prosecutor. So as a former prosecutor, I would say, you know, any, I know we would charge cases and then get more information and then dismiss them because we couldn't prove it beyond a reasonable doubt. And that's the legal standard. And so I made a motion like anybody who has a charge is dismissed or found out guilty of or an eviction that's dismissed should be immediately removed from CCAP because nobody should have a right to see things that you're innocent of. Right. And just because you charge with doesn't mean you're guilty. And so was able to prevail and win that motion, you know, so that any Wisconsinite. And when we did it, I was like, let's pull the data. And we had over 200,000 Wisconsinites still had charges sitting out on CCAP for which they had been found not guilty of or they had been dismissed. So to me, that was the biggest inequity that I'd ever heard of. I'm like, 200,000. Good Lord. That is just, too, you know, so then I just renewed my motion again. Like, no, we got to do this. And. So those kind of activities, you know, when we think about actually doing something like justice, my tagline is justice is not just what you say, it's what you do. That Madison is fully aware of my commitment, my my passion, my justice work, and, and how I have upheld these pieces of justice in our community and made our community a lot better and safer. Next question is, why do you want this job? Well, one of the things that uh, I think is important is two things. One, I believe that we need a diverse set of experiences on the Supreme Court. And nobody brings my lenses of experiences to the court. And I've known that as a judge, like even just as a circuit court judge, I recognize that the experiences that I bring from homelessness to trauma and abuse and, you know, function literacy, single mother, you know, working through those narratives, right, have given me a lens that I can use to better understand how laws impact everyday people's lives. And I think that's a lens we don't have. And then secondly, I use this line that uh, that I'm not only your judge, I'm also your reflection. I really do believe that in 175 years, uh, Wisconsin has never elected a person of color to the highest court of our state. 
And even though Justice Butler was appointed, you know, that was the first time that they use all those racist ads to, you know, remove Butler from office. And, and you're so, talking about Lewis Butler. Yes, Justice Lewis Butler. I, mean, I got a beautiful picture I took with him last night uh, in Milwaukee. But it's just a reminder that if we want something different for our state, if we want to send a different message, a different image to the nation, then we need to look at people's content and color, not just the color, but the content of who they are and, re and recognize that diversity in these spaces matter. Right. So I think that is a part of why I am. You know, I, you know, I'm uniquely qualified to be in this place and want to be able to bring all those resources to, to bear to support uh, a transformation for our community. Yeah. And you were just talking a little bit about this, but how has your time on the Dane County Court prepared you for this role? So one of the things that I think is most important is you learn the more discipline of what judges do. I think the idea of writing decisions. So, you know, as a as a black jurist, I don't I believe the discipline that is necessary is making sure that you are consistently, you know, writing decisions so that people get a clear sense of how you understand the rule of law, how you look in their facts and how you apply facts to law. And that is that is what the law is. You know, when people have conflicts, the court is the place to resolve those conflicts. And if it's a conflict of law, then you want to make sure not necessarily a conflict of law, but it's a conflict of facts then you know you have to be able to demonstrate how you're able to reconcile the facts that you've heard with the way that you see the law. What got you interested in working in the justice system? You're talking about your personal experiences. I just wanted to clarify, were you sharing that you've experienced homelessness, that you had a single mom? Yes, that's my that's part of my life. Yes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, that's part of my history. So the justice system really when I was when I moved to Madison in 04, I started working with Madison Area Urban Ministry which is now just Dane and uh, Mary Kay Baum gave me the responsibility of creating a, uh, you know, restorative justice program to help men and women coming out of prison. And it was working with them that I started to see all these inequities. Right. And quite honestly, sometimes I never thought about the law as a place to help people fight for the things that are important to them. And so Mary Kay was one of those mentors, you know, she's an older white lady, but man, She's fierce, man. She's fierce. And she showed me how you can take the law and use it for good. And then, you know, of course, I knew about Justice Thurgood Marshall. I understood the NAACP and I knew what they did. But on a very practical level, on, and, you know, sometimes that stuff seems big. But Mary Kay was showing me on a very practical level from housing and employment and medical care, mental health care. Like you, you sometimes you need to use law to help people be better. And so. When I got that bug and in my head, and actually it was one experience. It was actually one experience where I was, you know, I was happy in my role. And then I went to this, uh, help one of my clients and I went to an employee and she was just like, I can't hire your people. And if you knew the law, you wouldn't ask me to do that. And I'm like, oh, no, she didn't say if I knew the law. And that was it. I went and picked up an LSAT book and studied. I said, nobody would ever, 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 ever. Say to me again, if I knew the law, because I'm going to get a law degree and I will know the law. I was going to ask you if there was a justice on the U.S. Supreme Court that aligns with your judicial approach. I heard you mention Thurgood Marshall. Well, you know, what I'm saying the good thing about decisions and history is that you can always recapture those. You can recapture those voices at any time. I actually had, you know, when I became a judge, I didn't have any, you know, black art. There's no black art in the courthouse. So I went and 
purchased and had, you know, had an artist create an image for uh, Justice Marshall so I could hang it in my court. And I need to hurry up and unveil the one that I had made of Justice Katanji Jackson because I'm going to have that put in my court as well because I believe uh, art... Uh, but they used to always say, well, art imitates life and life imitates art, something like that. Nailed it. Yeah, and so we need art so that young people can come in and uh, and and see. It was funny one day, I don't know if I should even tell this story, but, but one day I was in court and somebody was like, so judge, how do you feel about uh, the dive decision with you having the picture of Clarence Thomas up in your courtroom? And I said, first of all, people, uh, that is not Clarence Thomas. Oh my that God. It's Thurgood Marshall. Right, I was like, are y'all serious? Are y'all serious right now? So, and we're like, oh my God, I can't believe it. Oh, just, oh no, I didn't mean that. <laughs> is that what y'all really think of me this whole time? Y'all been sitting in this courtroom and y'all think I got a picture of Justice Clarence Thomas in my courtroom? Really? This whole time? <laughs> I said, no, that is crazy. I said, that's, that's either y'all just don't get me or whatever, whatever it is. But I said, no, that is Justice Thurgood. Marshall, go up there and look a little bit closer, take a picture and Google his picture and then find something. This is, y'all ridiculous. And they do not resemble each other at all. Not even close. <laughs> not even close. Well, it's interesting. This is a f- an officially nonpartisan race, but also the ideological balance of the court will be decided by this election. How do you appeal to voters when justices are supposed to remain impartial? See, this is the frustrating part about this process. Now, when the media talks about this race, they talk about it in ideological terms, liberal versus conservative. And in many ways, you know, we have to, as we go through this, we have to recapture some of that language because that's the language that the media is casting this as. But, you know, liberal and conservative just synonyms for Democrat and Republicans. And reality is, you know, the moment that you say you're liberal, it cuts off your capacity to have a conversation with those who may, you know, vote Republican. And the moment that you say you conservative, it almost cuts you off from being able to have a communication with those who vote liberal. But the reality is, as a judge, it should be nonpartisan. Like, I don't I've never I mean, not never, ever asked somebody when they came in to submit a motion before me. I was like, yeah, are you a Republican? Are you a Democrat? Are you what? Are you independent? You Green Party? Or you know you don't even vote, huh? No, nobody asked that question. You know, you put people as they come and you just take facts and you listen to facts. And you know, and quite frankly, in my own personal relationships, I got a whole bunch of Republican friends. So, you know, and I got a whole bunch of liberal friends. So, you know, and sometimes we hanging out together and we talk about all kinds of stuff and and people move in, in and out these perspectives, but to lock people into an ideological construct limits the capacity for those crossover conversations. And as a black man running throughout the state, talking to people, and I just get so angry with the notion that Wisconsinites are racist because they're not. You have, you do have, because in my opinion, you got liberals who are racist. So if you got liberals who are racist, you got conservatives who are racist, I say to me, I'm looking for the people in the middle who can just have a good conversation and don't have to use dog whistle politics or racism on the liberal side or maybe just crazy images on the, on the right. So for me, it's just about trying to create that balance and looking for those people who just want to have a, a genuine conversation about what they would like to see and how best to accomplish those goals. And we're talking about the media asking the question more than just the media. 
this has come up while you've been on the campaign trail. Can a black man even win a statewide election in Wisconsin? What do you make of that? You know, what's what's sad is that that question is is always run among liberal folks. When I brought that up to some Republican people, you know, I'm, like I told you I talk to people all the time. When I talk to Republican people, they looked at me and said, that is a shame. Of course you can win statewide. You you went to, you've been to college, you've been to you got two master's degrees from Princeton, you have a law degree, you've done all these wonderful things for children, you have brought out you brought communities together, you stood on values that make our community and state better. Of course you can win. I'm sitting there, my, you should have seen, you know, you should have seen my mouth just drop hearing Republican people say to me uh, with passion in their eyes. That is a, it, that is one of the stupidest questions I've ever heard. Of course you can win, right? So I'm sitting there like, wow. It's like, where is this coming from? Where is this coming from? Who's creating this narrative that a black man can't win? Mm-hmm. Who really is the one who is spouting the most racist narrative? Because it's not them. It's not them. And so I was just shocked because, you know, I was meeting with their leaders. I was talking to them and. It was like, nah, I just don't even see that. We like we like your story. We like what you believe in. We like what you're fighting for. And you're a man of faith, your character, you stood on principles. I mean, of course you can win. So that that question is not the question that we have been told is the issue. It is not. I'm telling you, I didn't hit the state. I'm hitting these conversations. That's not on the minds of them at all. It is squarely on the minds of those who lean to the left. And speaking of media coverage during your campaign, there's been stories regarding an abuse allegation by your ex-wife, and you've called them unfair and misleading. What do you make of her 2009 article being dug up and what voters need to know about that? But that's the whole point. Like she had, and I told the reporter this, and he didn't want to put the story together right. So I told her, I said, man, I moved to Wisconsin to support my ex-wife so she could get her doctorate in music. And we were wonderful. I was here, I'd be singing at a Lutheran church. You know, we'd been overseas together, had a baby. We're going to build this nice family together. And in March of 2007, my sister-in-law, Morgan Geis, was killed by a drunk driver. And when she got killed, the grief of her death put my ex-wife into a mental health crisis. And she stayed in that downfall for a long time. And my job was to make sure that, you know, I loved her, so I wanted to make sure that she was that she was protected. But, she, you know, anybody who's had to love someone who's going through a mental health crisis know that sometimes it's like trying to hug a porcupine. And if you ever try to hug a porcupine, you're going to be hurt in the process. And that's what she was in the process of. She was hurting, so she was on scorched earth to hurt. She went to, you know, she, you know, you know, whether it was, you know, her gender identity and moving into, you know, lesbianism or cultural identity, becoming Jewish and then going back to being, uh, you know, a cisgender with an evangelical background and marrying a woman, they marrying a man and having children. She had a whole lot of healing to do in that process. And so my job was to take care of my daughter while she was doing it, but to put her mental... And he knew it like he knew that it was that mental health. He knew that she had withdrawn that 2009 Our Lives article out of the public domain so that nobody can find it because she no longer stood in that same perspective because now she was getting herself together. We put out a joint statement, but he still didn't care because he wanted to rather than focusing on maybe this was a moment where a black father went to courts 
did the whole process, ended up raising a beautiful uh, black child as she's 17 and in college, you do the math. No, what sales, what what demeans is this notion of that he must have done something. And it's it's part of that same, it's part of that same continuum of can a black man win? But that, what I've learned, Bianca, you know, that's not how we treat people in Madison. But there's a whole nother machine in Milwaukee that they do this to black electeds or people who are seeking to get black electeds elected. And they, you know, just like they told them, they told, you know, told me, like, you can, if you get out, you know, this story may not come out. I'm like, really? That's how you're going to play it? You know what? I'm going to stay in and I'm give our people a choice. Now, that meant my money dried up. But guess what? You know, I've been doing great work for a long time and we're going to continue to do great work. Thank you for explaining that. I do. I, I do want to ask you about the court. You know, so we talked about media coverage and and some of the the things that are coming up along the campaign trail. But what would you say is the most significant decision that is to come before the court? I I firmly believe we're still going to have that reproductive choice. We I mean because there's really nothing here in Wisconsin right now. That 1849 statute, which is as vague and cryptic as one could get needs to be defined, needs to be written, needs something is in place. So right now we're in a place where the 1849 lawsuit is going to be coming through. I think there's going to be some litigation uh, related to fair maps and probably some voting. I think our northern part, our northern neighbors, they felt that idea of gerrymandering way more this last election cycle because you had people who had been running and they realized, yeah, I can vote, but now I've lost my voice. So yeah, they really joined the chorus of all of us in the minority community who've been saying for you know generations they not only they can take your vote and your voice and limit you in this whole de- democratic process. So I think those are the core issues that are going to be coming up. I suspect though, Bianca, that there are a multiplicity of concerns that people have. I think ICWA. I don't know your, your listeners know about Indian Child Welfare Act. That's up before the Supreme Court, so that's going to impact our indigenous communities. Affirmative action is right now in the same cycle uh, of decision making right now. And so that will impact colleges and universities and, you know, small colleges and all of those ways in which diversity is being used in college education to help expand the the pool of students. And then last, I think we're going to have to address the state legislature theory that is being proposed right now, which basically would isolate the legislature's ability to make decisions related to voting that can no longer be checked by a state Supreme Court, that the legislature has the exclusive responsibility of setting voting uh, parameters and guidelines and the, the state Supreme Courts can't check them. Who do you want to run against in April? The question is, who really wants to run against me? <laughs> I don't think none of them do. <clears throat> I don't think none of them do. I think you know, those who watch the West Politics Forum recognize that Everett Mitchell, in terms of substance, style, and education, and judicial philosophy, is probably one of the things that is that surprised everybody, right? You know, I had a whole bunch of people say to me, we know you're a good speaker, but we just never heard you analyze the law like that. I'm like, well, sometimes y'all underestimate us and not realizing that we don't just get here. Like, anybody just gave me this job. You know, you got to, the path to get to where I am is so narrow. And in order for you to be successful in a narrow space, you really have to have the intelligence. But, you know, it's always good for them to, to, to think that we're not as competent as we are. 
because, you know, we're the ones who then come like a tidal wave that they never saw coming. And I'm not the first one they ever did that to. I remember a little small, skinny dude coming out of Illinois that they thought couldn't have no chance in Iowa, but he went and talked to everybody. And before you knew it, he won Iowa and he became, I think, what's that? I think he was the first president of the United States. Well, you remember his name, Barack Obama? You know, it rings a bell. It rings a bell. Yeah, I, I think I remember him coming through and, and me walking around with little flats and that were wet because I had bad judgment. <laughs> Waiting in line. Judge Mitchell, thank you so much for your time and for joining us on CityCast Madison. That's what I'm talking about. I'm here, Mad Town. Judge Mitchell, out. Love y'all. That's Dane County Judge Everett Mitchell. He's one of the four candidates for the upcoming Wisconsin Supreme Court election. We spoke with Milwaukee County Judge Janet Protasewicz on Monday. You can find that interview on our podcast feed. Waukesha County Judge Jennifer Doro and former Wisconsin State Supreme Court Justice Dan Kelly did not want to be interviewed. Please know that the invitation still stands. That primary election is next Tuesday, February 21st. The top two candidates will advance to the general election on April 4th. To look up where you vote or what you need to do to register, check out myvote.wi.gov. And here's what else Madison's talking about. Fighter jets. Did you hear about the latest mysterious floating thing that the military shot down? The one this weekend up by the UP? Turns out the F-16 jet that took it out came from Truex and Madison. And speaking of jets, the new F-35s are coming. The Air National Guard says the first of 20 is headed to Truex in April or early May. This is despite community concerns over air and noise pollution. The F-35s are much louder than the F-16s, and the loudest parts of the flight path are over Madison's poorest and more racially diverse neighborhoods. And remember the old Sundance turned AMC theater at Hilldale Shopping Mall? The one that closed in December before publicly scheduled to? Well, turns out you actually have one more shot to get your butt in those seats before the true final curtain call. The Wisconsin Film Fest will reopen the theater for festival screenings in April one last time. Also very cool, Hilldale will donate all of its film equipment acquired from AMC theaters to the Wisconsin Film Fest for use at future festivals. We love to hear it. Caring is sharing, y'all. That's all for today here on CityCast Madison. I'm Bianca Martin. If you enjoy the show, why not tell Waukesha County Judge Jennifer Doro about us? Really want her to come on the show. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more stories from around the city. Until next time, peace and love, y'all.